0: Welcome back to the Real Life Theology Podcast hosted by Renew. My name is Chris. Good to be with you. I want to just say thank you so much for joining us today. Hopefully this episode enriches your ministry and what God has called you to be doing. Today we have a really exciting episode because it's part of one of our main points at Renew that we're emphasizing, and this is on Renew Church Planting. So it's Renew Movement Church Planting, and Todd Wilson is going to be talking about what this looks like, what this new launch looks like, what it's all about, how it's going to help pastors and leaders plant more churches and get involved more and more in spreading the gospel through church planting. So really hope this episode enriches you. You can learn a lot about this wing of Renew. We're excited about it because it's a new part of what we're doing. So let's go ahead and check this out today.
1: All right, if I can get everybody's attention. Um, Are you guys okay at the table back there, or would you prefer to have chairs up closer? I don't care. It's just that it feels like you're on the other side of the building. (laughs) I can't see that far. What Did you say something about looking at you? You're so far back there, I can't see it.
2: You're
1: fine. <laughs> you're great. Um, I want to make sure we're in the right place. Is everyone here s- intending to be in the church planting breakout? Sorry, it's okay. Now? Nope, it's, it, it, <laughs> uh, it is okay if you get up and you're supposed to be somewhere else. You just want to make sure you're in the right place. Um, I will affirm that this might be the nicest room in the whole building. So they, they definitely have given us the, the good place to be. Um, my name's Todd Wilson. Um, I am the team leader of what's the new Renew movement church planting. Um, I'm joined today by Brett Andrews. Uh, Brett is one of the founding members of Renew. Um, Brett's the uh, founding pastor of New Life Christian Church. Um, who here has heard of New Life Christian Church? Um, So New Life is, uh, what I love about it is that you haven't heard about it. So uh, in the church planting world, New Life has planted over 300 churches. Um, They're the founding church of Exponential. That's uh, one of the larger church planting ministries in the world at this point. Um, And that's the the beauty of the church planting thing is that we don't have to have big platforms with big names with stuff. It's about getting it done in the trenches. And that's partly what we're going to talk to you about today. Um, We want to share with you uh, about the new Renew movement and what it's going to be, what it's not going to be. And uh, this is going to be highly interactive. Brett and I are going to try to minimize the amount of words we say in presentation mode so we can engage in conversations. Um, Renew movement at this point just to give you the snapshot and then we'll Brett's going to open us up but um, we realized a couple of years ago when Renew started that uh, if you look at the distinctives of Renew theological distinctive of the teachings of Jesus but the disciple making being at the core if we play out the fruit of disciple making are we really Disciple making, if it doesn't produce new churches. (coughs) And so, the idea that the maturity of disciple making should produce new churches is the conviction that you can't do what Renew wants to do with Renew's uh, vision without there being a church planting expression of Renew. So, what we've been doing for about the last nine months is working to get Renew movement in place. Uh, I'm going to share what that means in a couple minutes. Um, and we're now ready after about nine months to really be getting things moving on the church planting side. So what we're hoping today is to share with you what that's going to look like, how easy it is to be involved in church planting. Um, really, we've, the, the mantra that we're using right now is if you're not already involved in church planting, you are literally one board decision away from being involved in church planting. No expertise required, not a lot of money required, no special talent, no special know-how. You will be able, the way we're doing this collectively, to literally make a decision to be involved in church planting, and then it's a matter of how engaged you want to be in the details of the things that are going on. And that's what we're going to share with you today, is how easy it's going to be to be involved in church planting. Brett's going to open us up just with a little bit of transition things. In terms of where we are on Renew Movement right now, I said we've had about nine months of trying to bring things together. Uh, Dave just alluded to a pilot them being a pilot project in Nashville. Um, we have what I would call five directional leaders of Renew Movement at this point, which are the five pilot, the lead pastors of the five pilot projects. So right now, actively in the works, um, these five pilot projects, which any one of you could jump into any of those five projects at this point. When I say you're one decision away, um, we're not lobbying for that, but this isn't theoretical. There are five pilot projects right now that are getting ready to go through the process of things. So um, Dave's got Onward Network and Dave and Sydney have Onward Network in Nashville. Um, Renew Network is going to be a, kind of like a network of networks. So you've got Onward Network, part of Renew Network. Um, Jim Putman's Real Life Network is part of Onward Network. Um, Passion for Planting that comes out of New Life Christian Church is part of uh, Renew Network. And so individual churches and networks can be a part. Dave and Sydney's pilot Is a pilot of a network that's already planting churches being part of what we're we're doing Um, in Washington DC Brett and the team at New Life is one of the pilot projects their partners are coming together Um, when you said you're part of what's going on you're one of the partners already in the Washington DC project Um, Raleigh Durham North Carolina Donnie Williams who's part of Renew is uh, one of the directional leaders heading up pilot project um, Bobby Harrington uh, who's leading Renew uh, his church Harpeth uh, is doing a pilot project that's happening in Huntsville Alabama those planters are already selected that church is uh, is probably the far well one of the farthest down along the, uh, the line of things did I miss any of them uh, did I do five there let's see Washington D.C. Huntsville, Alabama, Raleigh-Durham, oh, uh, Canada. So the Real Life team has a Canada plant uh, in Canada. So those are five real church plants right now. And now what we're looking to do is start expanding beyond the five pilot plants for additional churches to join in with those five and to form additional pilot projects that would spin off. So just have that in your mind as we're going through the explanation of what's happening.
2: I think the, maybe the most important thing we can understand, if we're going to understand Renew Movement, is that we are called to lostness. That one of the paradigm shifts that I think needs to take place is that we move from being a paradigm of church growth, being driven by church growth, to being driven by lostness. There's a huge difference, even though some of the results may end up being the same um. Potentially, uh, about twenty, thirty years ago, Ying Kai uh, was starting churches, wanted to reach people in China, and they. After a couple of years, they had reached about two hundred and fifty people, and Ying realized if this if this is the approach that I'm going to take to growing a church to reach lots of people, we are not going to make any impact on China, and so he changed. He made this transition from saying, we don't count the saved, we count the lost. We're not driven by church growth. We're driven by impacting lostness in China. And the result of that paradigm shift was that they they were able to start about 450,000 churches that reached, 450,000 churches that reached, I don't know how many millions of people. And they continue to reproduce today okay um owning lost so here's the question here's the thing, thing as you think about your church and what you are doing do you count the saved do you count the lost is the win how many people you have on sunday morning or is the win decreasing the lostness owning the lostness in your neighborhood in your suburb in your city Understanding that is, the, is a good foundation to understand the vision for a new movement. We're owning the lostness of this generation. Now, that goes back, then we could take that back to the late 1980s when um, Peter Wagner said that there's no more effective means of reaching lost people than starting new churches. All that's gone on in church planting movement since the 19, early 90s, whatever, has really been energized by that vision of how do we reach lost people? No more effective means of reaching lost people than starting new churches. And it's mostly true. But the reality is new churches don't make disciples. They create, a, they create an opportunity for disciples, a fresh opportunity for disciples to be made. What we realized was for there to be a church planting movement where churches are planting churches or planting churches that are reaching lost people, that are reaching lost people, that are reaching lost people, people, at the core of that has to be effective reproducing disciple making. And so out of the whole church planting thing and saying, okay, what what are the churches that are effectively reproducing? The key to it is not starting new churches. The key to it is at a smaller level saying, How are we reproducing disciples at every level? Okay? Understanding that then, the next question becomes, if we're going to have, you know, we do not have disciple-making movements in the United States as far as I know. Maybe they're starting, maybe there's some that I'm aware of, but um, as far as we know. We're not seeing disciple-making movements. We're not seeing church-planting movements. If we're going to see disciple-making movements out of church-planting movements, what is the key. Years ago, when Todd was on staff at New Life, we sat upstairs in our office of this old um, house, asking that question. And I thought about my home church in Northwestern Pennsylvania—about 250 people, maybe 300 people at the largest—always bouncing between 250. I thought, you know, the key to church planting movements, disciple movements, church planting movements, is not Trader's Point being a church-planting church. In fact, the history of the last 20, 30 years of the United States has been, there have been a lot of growing megachurches. And there are megachurches that are planting churches. The key to Christianity reproducing has always been ordinary Galileans who make disciples, who make disciples. It's always ordinary people who reproduce disciples and reproduce churches. It's ordinary churches that reproduce churches that reproduce disciples. And so, if I, that's kind of the history of what brings us here in this place, where a new movement is committed to owning the losses of this generation. We're all going to die before too long, and we all want to stand before God with a sense of conscience, good conscience that we've done our best in our generation. And, and so how do we do that? It's not just going to be by getting the big churches involved. It's going to be getting as many ordinary churches in the church planting game as possible. The key to that is collaboration. And that is what brings us to this place to talk about collaboration. What I'd like to do... Um,
1: Dave and Cindy, I'm going to just put you on the spot for a second and ask if you would just share for a minute or two the idea of Onward being part of Renew Movement and through the lens of what you've heard so far of just why you are part of, why choose to be a part of Renew Movement as a pilot, if you guys wouldn't mind just sharing that for a second.
3: In that season, we decided, hey, if we really can take a leader and make sure that leader is not just a disciple, but a disciple-making leader. Uh, We believe disciple-makers make disciples. Disciple-making leaders can plant churches that make disciples and plant churches. And so that became our heart. And we said, hey, if we're going to do this, we can't do it on our own. We don't want to do it on our own. In fact, we think collaboration is a fundamental reality in the kingdom of God. You know, we think about the great commandments. We think about the great commission. We think John 17 is the great collaboration. In fact, Jesus is going to say, Uh, It is not just a nice thing to have collaborative unity. It is a necessary thing. Like There is a a key to unlocking something in the kingdom that only is put in your hands when you choose to link arms with other followers of Jesus. And so we believe part of this movemental um, thing that we all, I I say we, like being all of us in this room, I've not talked to a single North American leader that goes, I'm excited that there are no movements on our continent, like, um, I never talk to leaders that are excited about that. We all long for, it. and uh, I think there's this this reality that in order for us to lean into it, we have to keep finding ourselves in spaces like this. Going, hey, how do we share best practices? How do we share resources? How do we share relationships? How do we how do we put fuel on one another's fires? How do we not reinvent the wheel where we don't need to do it, uh, but really learn from each other? So, uh, yesterday I was in a room with some of the folks that are these pilot groups. And it, it was remarkable because even in just a few short conversations, what's happening in Texas was beginning to connect with what's happening in DC, what's connected with Canada, what's happening in Nashville. The people are going, Hey, instead of us trying to do it on our own, we'll let you be really great at it. You keep doing that. And we'll come alongside of it. Hey, here's this thing that we're okay at. We'd love to help you with it. So that's the part that's intriguing to us. Is going, hey, how do we help each other out without slowing each other down? And so and we think we're in a moment that requires it. I'm gonna to try to get your numbers roughly
1: right, but to share how the collaboration thing works. So I'm, I'm gonna try not to do pastor math here, so <laughs> keep me accountable with the right numbers. In the first seven years of their church planting efforts, roughly 72 leaders went through the training pipeline. That resulted in about 47 church plants. So just in seven years, that by itself, that is a remarkable statistic. That puts their church planting activity in the top 0.01% of church planting in America. You don't find churches that are are seeing 47 church plants in seven years. Okay. But that's not the cool story. Uh, The first seven years is 72. Last year, 76. So the first seven years, 72 people through the training pipeline. 76 through last year. Guess what the number is this year projected Close to 200 through the training pipeline. That's out of one church's commitment. But here's the deal, collaboratively, what's the secret to 72 to
3: 76, to 200? Yeah, so for us, we said we don't want to just be the only ones to sign the church planters. So the first seven years, all of the, the, the planters were coming through our space being trained in our ways. But once they got out and started actually planting churches, we, we basically tapped them on the shoulder and said, Hey, you're not done. You know, it's not just plant the church and get a book deal and you know, make a name for yourself, is who are you going to train? And so a couple of years ago we started taking some of our first groups of church planters. Training them how to train others the way that we had trained them, and they began training. So when we got to that eight-year mark where Todd kind of talked about, you know, the jump and what we're experiencing now, we're still just training 10 to 20 a year. You know, that's just our goal. But we now have multiple hubs, multiple leaders that are cycling leaders in the same way. And so uh, that's where you can see it's spreading
1: out. And don't miss the collaboration part of that. What they are today is a community of churches all that are now far beyond Nashville, but they are connected through a common set of belief structure, ways of doing things, so that the multiplication part, the hockey stick part of the up curve, Dave and Sydney don't have to touch it. It now happens, outside of them, they get to just keep being faithful in their sphere of what's happening. Does that make sense? But it's not, here's the deal, they don't have what the North American Mission Board has in Alpharetta, Georgia, a four-story building, The fourth floor, the North American Mission Board has about 150 employees that are running the church planting machine in the Southern Baptist with support, somebody to do social media and somebody to do something. They are an organic, decentralized, or Think that's not a machine and I think that's where, if you come back to the disciple-making part of the core, the seven-year part of it is partly building in the disciple-making DNA into it. Is that right, David? I don't want the words into your mouth on it. Kind of thing. So we are not looking in the Renewal Movement to go discover some silver bullet of something yet to be discovered after 2,000 years from Jesus' well. We are looking to look at what God's up to already onward network with what new life's doing with passion for planting but real life's doing. we're trying to bring people together that already are cooperating with god and what's happening and how do we aggregate that together in a way that we're learning from one another each thing's a learning laboratory and we're able to uh things off does that make any sense so far here's how i would tie it back into the rest of this especially starting with church growth here. Uh, Current operating system of the U.S. church. If we just think in terms—if you want to think operating system, think your phone. The phone has an operating system inside. None of us see it right now. We actually don't know how the operating system works. It's inside it's phone. But every one of us have apps on our phone that are programs that we do understand what they deliver, and we can open about them. We know how to go. I need to check my flight instead. The apps on my phone are like the models that we use for church. Micro church, multi site church, mega church, parachute drop church. Land. The apps are things we can get our hands around, but there is an operating system that most of us are not consciously aware of that drives how we're doing church. It shapes the apps that are on the phone, it shapes the way that we're doing our models in church. And... What we don't realize is we're all, in some form on the spectrum, we are all captive to the current operating system. When, and, and, and I would suggest to you, if I had to articulate the current operating system, uh, I would put it as the purpose-driven or the consumer-driven operating system. The purpose-driven church was well-intentioned, brick was well-intentioned, the baseball diagram with the four bases, all well-intentioned. Rick was mentored by Peter Drucker, the father of modern management. Peter Drucker's most hard thing was the three questions. Who's the customer? What do they value? How are we gonna deliver it? If you go back and open up the purpose-driven church book that you've got at home, and you reread it through the lens of who's the customer, what do they value, and how how do you deliver that value, that's what Rick did in the Purpose Driven Church. Saddleback, Sam, and Sally are 32 years old. They make $150,000. They drive a certain kind of car. They have 2.5 kids. And when they show up at church on Sunday morning, there's already a paradigm in When they show up at church on Sunday morning, they need people in the parking lot to guide them so they're not confused. They need really good smelling coffee that tastes good when they walk in. The service better be high quality excellence that competes with television broadcasts things, all from a consumeristic mindset of how we going to get there. So our current operating system, we should not be surprised. Many of you are in this, this room because you're intrigued by the cycle. How do you become a disciple? Of the churches? Let me suggest why you're here, if that's why you're here. The reason you're here is that the current prevailing operating system of the church, it's not actually a church. Planting well, the current operating system the is a consumer driven operating system that doesn't have the disciple making thing that we're talking about. We want a consumer consumeristic operating system that delivers what as a product? Consumers. That's, that's you, the you would expect a consumeristic operating system to deliver consumers. So, the elephant in the room is that whether we acknowledge it or law, we are all captive in this right here, the operating system. The operating system has to see shifts. And that shift has to start with what we're doing, which is intent. You know what? What's the first step in the 12 steps? Acknowledge my weakness. Let's acknowledge that the current operating system doesn't deliver a disciple-making culture. I mean, I can't be any more harsh than that, but it just doesn't. Discipleship.org and Exponential did a national study right before COVID uh, using uh, five levels of the making culture uh, uh, a consumeristic culture, sort of a plateauing or stagnant culture, a growth oriented culture, a reproducing disciples culture, a multiplying culture. Five kind of levels. And uh, we were hoping to see levels four and five. Producing disciple making culture be higher than it was. Um, what we found this is a national study, statistically validated, uh, uh, less than 4% of US churches have a disciple making culture. If, if, and you can kind of come up with your own definition of disciple making culture, go do a study on that. And the elements that most of us would put into disciple making culture, less than 4%. We have to ask the question, why are less than 4% of the U.S. churches have a disciple-making culture, if disciple-making is the formation of the church? <coughs> so let that sink in. Disciple-making is the core mission of the church, and less than 4% of the U.S. churches have a disciple-making culture. I'm going to suggest to you don't have to look any further than We have a pervading operating system that delivers exactly what we're So, here's the deal. We need to work on it in but the reality is, we have to change. It's, it's just think about it in your own life. If you've never used a phone before, you, you've never had a phone. You're going to get your first phone. You don't know anything about the Android or the iPhone. You actually could get acclimated to either one pretty easily. You, somebody, your parents, could give you the phone. And you I have been using Apple since Apple came out. I, I will confess that I think four or five times now, I've tried to switch over to Android, and it works for about a week. And then I give up on it, and I go back to Apple. Because it is so hard to check. And let me suggest, what's hard about it, it's not the apps, it's not the phone itself, it's not the functionality that the reason I can't get my head around Android is because I'm addicted to the operating system inside of this phone. I'm actually addicted to the ones and zeros the way they work inside of this phone. And I don't even know how they work inside of this But I'm addicted to it. And and we've got an addiction in church. And of all the words that are on the board, what's our addiction? Brett said at the beginning, our addiction is the very first thing that we said Our addiction is to church growth. And the reason our addiction, in my opinion, is to church growth, let me give you the stat. The average church plant in America, uh, prior to COVID, I don't have good days since COVID, prior to COVID, the average church plant in America launches with 42 people, average, across all denominations, all. In the first five years, that 42 grows to 80 in the first five years. Um, there's a lot of arguments over what percent survive. Um, they don't all survive, so we won't argue over what the actual percent is. But the average church plant that goes from 40 to 80 in the first five years plateaus at 90. The average attendance of churches in the U.S. Anyone want to, want to guess why it plateaus at 90? Here's why. The, the average church in America, one full time pastor, paid okay, full time vocationally, can minister to 100 people. The overhead cost of one full time person and their overhead is a budget that when that church plant goes from 40 to 80, think about the elders sitting around when the church is getting to 80. They're excited that it's grown to 80. And what decision? they have to make right now? How many staff do they have right now when they got to 80? They have one full-time pastor who, if we're really, really honest, their number one priority is not boss people for the average. Their number one priority is putting food on the table because they had a scarcity. They've been taking out savings. They've had a hard time getting there. 80 people doesn't support the salary and the overhead of one full-time fast staff dad person. So there's a scarcity tension on the salary, and the number one priority is, I want to be full-time and there's not enough money in this for me. What's the number one decision that those elders need to make right now? They need to hire their second staff person. And what do they start saying when they're eight? Someday we need your children to do things we got to grow a little bit more. When we grow a little bit more, we'll have the money to hire the second staff person. Separate from church planning right now, if elders all across the country who are having that conversation when they can't yet afford the second staff person would actually go ahead and hire the second staff person on faith, we'd see a different landscape in Christianity right now. But those elders wait. Day to come when they can afford the second staff person. And unfortunately, the average church in America is plateaued at 90. The day never comes when they get to that. hundred people can support one full-time staff person. Is that making sense? Uh, so uh, let's move on to the church planting part. <laughs> but I'm sorry. Um, but we are dealing with the elephant in the room on this. Okay. We've got to figure out. Uh, in the church planting world, but let me, let me say it positive. If we're going to solve the problem we're talking about here, how do you get the disciple making culture in the churches? How do we reach the next generation? How do we put evangelism and lostness as the primary thing? Church planting has to be our incubator for it. It has to. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm a futurist, I'm a strategic person. Uh, there's not enough years left in my life to to put all the stock in. Let's go figure out how to transform existing churches to solve the problems of the future. We've got to figure out how to have the church planting incubator be the thing that's solving the problem for the future. And then the question becomes: So how do we do that together in a way that we're learning, discovering? Does that making sense? All right. Um, for the sake of time, we are going to do an exercise where if you look at this list right here, uh, what I've tried to do from prior conversations with groups like this is ask the question, For we would now make it personal, where we talk about why don't churches get involved in church planting, we, we would go around and ask the question, why isn't your church getting involved in church planting more than it does? You might already be involved, but why aren't you doing it? More than, and usually the answers come back in these non-order of priority. But money is always a big one. Planters and the planter pipeline. Where do we either get planters from? Or over here on the fear, you know, it's that tension that it's always the best staff people that want to go plant the churches, and if we've got, if we're always losing the best staff people. We're losing momentum. So how do we handle this issue of our loss of momentum when we're sending planners off? Uh, The issue of expertise and support systems, how do we get the expertise to do it? We don't know how to do it. We've never done it before. Where do we get it? How do we do it? Uh, The decision-making, the oversight itself, somebody, I think you guys were talking time is an issue. Do we have the time to do it? Um, It's one of the things I heard you guys talking about. Well the reality is there's there are key decisions that have to be made in church planting and who's engaged enough in it in the details and the time and the engagement for making decisions like where's it gonna be, what models are gonna be, what kind of budgets are gonna be, who are the partners gonna be. So there's all the decision making. Um there's there's an issue of conviction and motivation that's tied up in a lot of what we had over here that if we don't really buy into church planting for the right motivation. And then, think about this. If you don't have the right motivation, church planting becomes another program in this thing that we're captive to over here. Programs are the fuel of the current consumeristic approach um, to a church. And if we're not careful, church planting will just become another one of the programs in the church. It's not really the first group. It's just another program So having the right conviction and motivation, um, uh, I I sometimes like at New Life where we've been involved in over 300 church plants. There's you know what would happen if Brett wasn't the lead pastor? If we go back in the time clock and Brett, you know, do we have enough DNA built in? in the absence of a very convicted lead pastor who granted New Life Christian Church to be a church planning church, what happens if Brett's not convicted being the one do it? Is it really built in with the elders, with the rest? So that's, that's part of the public vision. And then there's the issue of the partners. A lot of times what I hear from churches is they're so focused on what they're doing and the growth part up here that the collaboration with others, again, takes time and Over the last decade, uh, one of the things that has gotten, in a positive way, is really ramped up is our leadership training pipelines. And when where you go look at the healthiest of leadership development pipelines in churches, I don't want to keep coming back to this current operating system, but why are we putting leadership development pipelines in place? In most churches, it is for the complexity of the growth of multi-site. Things with as the church gets more complex, we, you know, we've got to have more leadership capacity in place. Um, so, now, we are also seeing a growing number of residences and church planting and other things in place too. That takes work and energy away from what the normal would be. What else? Alright, what I want to do is take this list then, and uh, the way we're going to end here over the next 10 minutes or so is, uh, I want to show you the distinctive of what we're doing in Movement, of how we're trying. When we go back, any church can get involved in church planting with just a decision. We're trying to take away the barriers for churches getting involved, and and we're trying that, that statement that a lot of churches will say, Someday, we will plant churches when fill in the wine, when we have enough money, when we've got a leadership training pipeline in place, when we've got a distinctive, when we've got, when we've got, a we're trying to take away that and say, that's not an issue. It's really a decision of a priority that somebody's gotta to make to do it, okay? So, um, first off, the distinctives that we're doing with reading movement um, you really can think about three distinctives that are going to define Movement. Uh, any church planting network right now, you can pick any of the national networks. Every network has distinctives that are distinctively them. Okay, like what, what's bringing them together. Um, I want to suggest to you, in my work with Exponential for 18 years, I've gotten firsthand to know almost all the networks almost all of the denominational things. I've got a pretty good survey of like what the different networks and denominations are doing. Here's an observation I want to make for you. We have gotten to a point in U.S. church planting that theological accountability and theological distinctive is no longer a primary distinctive in church planting. Just let that sink in. Okay. You have... What's that? Across the board. Across the board. Okay. Even where you think denominations may have a distinctive, no, there's not. And so here's the consequence. When I meet with church planters now, the first question I ask a church planter when I sit down with them at lunch or coffee is tell me about your theological accountability. Tell me how you're getting the theological accountability. And I usually get this at term. And that is not an answer. And I'll ask it again. They tell me, how are you getting theological accountability? And I'll get the, well, I'm part of planting with fill-in-the-blank group, Stadia, or New or something, or X-29. I'll say, no, no, no. That's the emblem on your race card. You're not getting the theological accountability from that. Whatever your theological definition is, what do you have in place that you really care about that, that after you hire the lead pastor for the church plant, and now there's a succession to the next planter that even with just one generation of succession, you actually keep the theological distinctive that was important to you in the beginning. I'm here to tell you across the country right now, we're losing a lot of even within the Restoration Movement, we are losing a lot of our churches in the first generation of succession beyond planning. We don't want that to happen in Renew Movement. We are making our first distinction unapologetically, and it's where Renew fits in. It's why Renew and Renew Movement are connected. The Renewed Statement of Faith is required for Renew Movement. We will have, I mean, it is a theological distinctive and there will be accountability to it from day one. Built into the bylaws and the articles, we're not talking legalism here. We're talking there is an intent that the succession of leadership through the church into the future is not going to go from being a restoration movement church to a community church to a progressive church to a fill-in-the-blank whatever the church is. It will be a restoration church from succession to succession to succession. You said that they have that. Where does the accountability come from? So where does the accountability come from? That's what I'm going to start showing how this is going to work real quick. But first distinctive is theological accountability. Second distinctive is the disciple-making and growth engine and mission at the core. We are going to be serious about breaking the code on this. What does it mean to have the culture of disciple-making at the core and not just the growth part of it. Now, healthy things grow. So this is not anti-growth. This is what's the operating system. The idea is that if we can do the disciple-making growth, we should see growth. Not only growth, we should see reproduction that new churches being started. So, Part of this is a commitment. It isn't that we've got the silver bullet. How does it all? How, what's the new operating system? How does it all fit? This is a commitment to a learning laboratory to the pilot projects with groups with, that are participating in the discovery of how that's going to work. The commitment is that the cycle making road will be a distinctive of the community. That that's going to be where we are. The third and final distinctive is collaborative. We're doing it together. The, it's the distinctive of in relationship together. So if you want to put it in a different language of those three, it is a commitment to the mission of Jesus, the cyber the teachings of Jesus, the theological accountability of his teachings, in relationship together. That's the three distinctive form of like lights for the school. Here's how, in essence, these things are going to work with freedom Movement. Uh, instead of one church having to figure it all out, they've got to come up with $200,000, they've got to find a plan, they've got to do it all wrong. I want you to imagine for a minute that a group of churches, in this case, we'll say, uh, five churches, come together, uh, use whatever word you want from five churches, a micro-network, a collaborative, a partnership, a cooperation, so in Washington, D.C., right now, we are pulling together four or five churches who will commit to work together on a church plan. Now, right away, those four or five churches have to commit to the renewed faith statement, disciple making at the core, and that they're going to work together to plan the church. And here's how we're doing it in, in the one at DC. Each of these five churches. I don't know exactly what their dollar amount is in D.C., but each, ne- each of these clusters of four to five churches, let's say in this case, will commit $50,000 over three years. So $16,000 a church for three years. So if you do the math, five churches who commit $16,000 a year are now pulling together $200,000 for that church And so these five churches would end up being, and they've got to commit to renew, they will be essentially until elders are in place in the church, the management team, the elder board, by by committing the three-year commitment of the $50,000, they are essentially a seat at the table for all of this decision-making, where it's going to happen, who the planter is, what the budget is. Now, in addition to these five, We're bringing in other churches that might not be able to do $50,000. They might only be able to do $3,000. They might only be able to do $2,000. They might only be able to do $10,000 over the time period. But there will be a group of churches who are like-minded who buy into, I mean, it's the five that will make the initial decision of where's it gonna be and what's the model and that kind of thing is the decision-making of accountability to the planter part. And then we're wanting other churches to be can join or affiliate with
3: what's happening
1: in there. So that even a church that by their budget or size, let's say can only put a few thousand dollars in over the three years, they're still part of the church plan. They're in the church plant community part of that church plan. They can send people to help with the plant, they can Interact with the planter, that'll make sense. For that's, the, that's the church
3: second generation. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And then this, here's the thing. The idea, of, I should have said this too. One of our other, this isn't a distinctive, but we have very few mandates. One of the mandates is that each of the church plans, when the church plans are involved in the new church, the church has to be involved in church planning from day one. They don't get to say, we'll do it someday when the. So imagine a brand new church just started. They can be one of these churches that, that it isn't that they got to put 50,000 in. They can be part of, this. in fact, the same cluster of churches that just planted them is now going to move on to the next one. And that church just becomes part of that cluster of churches that's part of the next church plant. So that's the kind of funding and church part of it. Here's the second piece. All of the expertise and support systems. So when, and Brad, I think, somebody alluded to it earlier, so uh, I'll give you an example of passion for planting that Patrick Bradley's with. Passion for planting is full-service project management services for churches. And when I say full-service project management, imagine an executive pastor for a church plant. They help put the launch plan together over 400 actions. They help do as many of the actions as possible. It's full support services and project management services. So that this is one example in a new movement. Passion for Planting is the engine powering the support services of these clusters of churches. So when these churches come together, if they want it, we're, we're not going to mandate it, but if this cluster of churches says, we would like the full project management services of, of Passion for Planting, it will be provided to them by Pastor plan So these churches don't have to go figure out all the project management stuff. It just gets provided by Pastor McClain. The uh, same things are happening when you look at the other groups. Dave Clayton's thing, Real Life Ministries has a new residency program. The different groups that we're bringing in as partners, they will be have, offer different support services and things to these clusters of churches that are doing things. These churches that are getting involved in here, no experience is required for special support services. Now, we are, the way we're seeing it happen, just like the five pilots right now, there will probably always be at least one pretty strong church planted church that's
2: initiating
1: a, a new cluster of churches, so you're going to get a mixture of experience at the table. You're going to have a range of really experienced churches to brand new churches. Yeah, we're brand new, so we want,
0: we want that. <laughs> yeah. right. we don't even want to learn from
1: that. That was one of the intriguing things for you is, wow, well, our, ch- our church doesn't have to know how to do it. We can just come to the table with, with churches that have already done it and be a full partner with them at the table. And our hope and vision right now for a new movement is, I use the analogy of if you want to build a huge snowman, you start with a little snowball and you roll it down the hill and it gets bigger, bigger, bigger. But the more churches that affiliate through the simple theological accountability of the Renew Faith Statement, disciple making at the core, doing it in relationship together, that goes from 25 to 50 to 100, 200 churches. Now we it isn't just a menu of services, it's a menu of options of church plans. Involved. In. Oh, there's a plant in Atlanta. We'd love to be in Atlanta. Oh, there's a church plant in Cincinnati. We'd love to be a part of Cincinnati. And here's, the, here's what we love about it it's not centralized institutional from the third floor of some building somewhere. It happens because, yes, there's an infrastructure, a decentralized infrastructure, but it happens because local churches plant churches. It isn't the institution planting, it's the churches plant. Um, And and, and again, this isn't theoretical. We're already using the model. The model's already been shown improvement. We're already now put it into play with the new movement.
0: Thank you so much for joining us here for the Real Life Theology podcast. I would just invite you, if you want to learn more about what Todd has been talking about today, you can go to renew-movement.org and check out more there, or email Todd at todd at renew-movement.org. Dot org as well. So I just invite you to dive in, go deeper. If you're thinking or praying through what it looks like to plant a church, we just love to connect with you and love to get you hooked up with Renew Movement.